Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. If you're looking to throw some optics on your turkey gun this spring, look no further than the Vortex Defender ST. This is the red dot we're going to be running this season. We're excited about it. This thing's built like a tank, super lightweight, super long battery life, everything you need in a good turkey red dot. And if you want to get a discount on that red dot or any other Vortex Optic, go to eurooptic.com and use the code SGN10 to get a discount. That's eurooptic.com, code SGN10. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar. May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you. And we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. It's almost New Year, and I'm sitting here with the ginger bow hunter and his majestic goatee. Looks like you've been growing it out. Your mustache is curling around a little bit. What's the deal with that? I'm working with it, man. You're working with it? Are yeah. you going to curl it and twirl it? Yeah, dude. Yeah. Just, yeah. Throw some braids in it, some beads, whatever, <laughs> man. <laughs> going Captain Hook on them. So. Captain Hook. Yeah. Just put yeah. a Run that freaking, that, what is that, swamp shark through them? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so this episode is going to be about um, extent. Like, if you're not in Alabama, you're going to come to Alabama and you're going to extend your season and come here and shoot some deer on our public land, right? Yeah. Well, not just that, but also during the rut. Cool thing yeah. about Alabama is there's so much of the state right now through. I mean, pretty much the end of the season, which is February 10th. Oh yeah. There's rutting activity you can find on public land. Throughout the state during that time. Yeah. So from today on, it's December 28th. Yeah. From today on until February 10th, 
there are hard-running deer, chasing deer in the state of Alabama Yep. for the rest of the time. And different places, like they're not all, the whole state isn't running that long. It's pockets, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, and if you live in Alabama, and if you're like me and Jacob, and you live in a place where, or really just you, live in a place where uh, the rut is kind of ending or over now, then you can still travel to other parts of the state. And get in on this. Mm-hmm. So this is going to be kind of a, a, a special episode, like kind of a year ender, I guess. Oh yeah, about that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, of course. Well, it, it's it's kind of sad to see, especially after like uh, you know just you know us kind of managing and, and running the running gun page, um, seeing so many guys talk about their season's over. I mean, they're done. Yeah. Um, I believe. Um, I mean, most most of the states I know of, like kind of the the, uh, the northeast. And midwestern states are coming to an end, um, at least for most guys' seasons, um, which is, I mean, sad to see, dude. I know uh, Tennessee. By the time this comes out, I think you might have like a couple more days to hunt public land. I think you can hunt public land until like January. I think it's the first or the sixth, one of the two. Don't mm-hmm. don't quote me on that. Then you're done, dude. You're done for public land. So it's like, what else are you gonna do? I mean, you don't. I mean, we got turkeys, turkeys, but turkeys not coming in until the earliest. You know, I guess you go down to Florida, you go hunt some Osceolas, but I mean, dude, you got two and a half, three months before you can even think about turkeys. Mm-hmm. So it's like, what else to do? Well, dude, yeah. come south, hunt the deep south, and and hunt running activity. Mississippi's the same way, by the way. Their season goes as long as ours do. Yeah, and they have a similar rut, not yeah. as crazy as ours, but uh, definitely similar. What's weird is growing up in Alabama, and it's just always been like this. And to us, it's like normal. Like you, you like different parts of the state rutting super late at different like times a year mm-hmm. and like like you said guys up north right now their their season's like literally over they have nothing to, and like down here too with this weird rut i never even knew what the october lull was until like late in high school like i didn't i had no idea what the october lull was supposed to be i didn't even like hear that term because mm-hmm. it's just not a thing down here because we don't have that like early november rut every single year so that's why that's why I'm always skeptical about the October lull because I mean that's just not a thing. No one talks about that down here. Yeah, that's yeah. just another product of our rut being so weird. But uh, but yeah, that's gonna be the subject of today. And then for all you people who can't come down here and do that, we are gonna try and do a post rut hunting episode here in the next two weeks or so. Yeah. Yep. So, um, but anyway, so one thing I want to kind of get to right off the bat, kind of hit this. Well, hold on, let's. What about those broadheads right there? Oh, shoot. okay. To it. Yeah. So all right, guys. So Andrew gave me my gift uh, for Christmas, which is pretty badass. I wasn't actually expecting this. Uh, so he got me some Kuyu uh, single bevel broadheads, and they are freaking sick. They're sharp. Dude, they are stupid sharp, man. I'm, I'm, I'm messing around with one right now. kind of worried I'm going to cut myself, which I actually did cut myself You did a minute ago. Just messing with me. Like, <laughs> t- dude, like popping hairs off your arm. No issue at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, these are freaking sick, dude. So one thing for everybody out there, and again, this is kind of off topic, but we'll kind of hit on it. Um, me and Andrew are doing uh, two heavy arrow builds. Um, really, for if we can use them later on this season, which you know we should be able to as long as our season oh, is. Yeah. But definitely for next year as well, uh, building right around like a 600, 650 grain arrow, which is ridiculous compared to like what I was shooting previously. I just weighed my arrow uh, today, which was right at 404 grains on my certified scale. So um, it's just it's just cool, dude. But yeah, these broadheads are bad ass, man. And then I got the uh, I brought over one of my Simmons uh, Swamp Sharks, which is a 175 grain, uh, inch and five eighths cut fixed blade. Giant, dude. It, dude, listen, it will. It, it is big, and it definitely for sure it is big. And y'all can say that's what she said all day long <laughs> while we're talking about this. Um, 
But <laughs> I actually had the tree sharks first, which is their biggest head, which is it's a fixed blade. Guys, check this out. Simmons makes a fixed blade, a two-blade broadhead, okay? Mm-hmm. 190 grains. It is two and one-sixteenth inch cut. Two blade, giant. It is massive. This it, is a fixed blade broadhead. One one piece of metal. That's as big or bigger than the Rage broadheads. Yeah, I just kind of give y'all an example of like size comparison. Yeah. Um. But anyways, I had those at first, and then I sent them back because I ac- accidentally ordered the uh, the glue, glue on heads. On. Yeah. And uh, anyways, after talking to the owner uh, Dave uh, with Simmons, um, we kind of after kind of talking about my setup and everything, uh, I decided to switch over to the, the Swamp Sharks, which are freaking sick, dude. Been uh, putting a really solid edge on them uh, over the last day or two. But, anyways, yeah, I got these broadheads here. We actually have all of our arrows right here in front of us. Yeah, kind of messing around with them. Uh, Andrew's got the uh, the Day 6 arrows, which, listen, they're expensive, like for sure. We haven't, yeah. You haven't done any kind of durability tests with them. Got them for Christmas. When I say it is impressive, because so I, I bought some Black Eagle Rampages. I bought 18 of them, okay? And they're a heavy arrow. They're they're uh, t- they're two, it's a two fifty spine arrow. It is uh, ten point seven grains uh, per inch, which is, is really heavy uh, compared to everything else I've shot. And uh, I thought this was a heavy arrow, dude. I grabbed yours with no insert, nothing. It's just the fletchings and the freaking knock and the <laughs> son of a gun, dude. Noticeably you, heavier, dude. You can tell how much heavier it is. And we threw it on the scale, and just your arrow alone, which it hasn't been cut down, but you're probably take you said like three inches, maybe four inches off of it. Mm-hmm. It's like 445 grains, which is bananas. Yeah, because my arrow I've been hunting with over the last two years with a broadhead on it is 404 grains with a broadhead. Yeah. 12.6 grains per inch. Yes, bananas. Dude. That's heavy. That's pretty. Ah, uh, dude, this. Uh, you look at the like the wall on this thing. It is thick. Yeah, the thick wall on the actual the actual carbon, which is uh, that's where you actually notice all the weight, because of course it's going to be more carbon there. It's going to be a thicker walled shaft. And, and like you can't flex these like you can with other arrows. Like yeah. these babies are stout. Yep. So, but also you pay that stout price. Well, I mean, well, you got yours as a gift, but as yeah. a stout price. Yeah. No, I was probably going to go to the good old Carbon Express again if I was buying them. Yep. <laughs> but. Anyways, all right, well, I don't know why we got onto that topic because that is not what we're talking about today, well, guys. Yeah, dude, broadheads and all kinds of stuff. There's a second part to your Christmas gift. Oh, it's not here yet. Oh, dang it, man, I'm going to have to bleep that. Um, I say that all the time. It's all good. <laughs> um, it's not going to be here till tomorrow, and I'm moving tomorrow, so you're just going to have to come pick it up, And even though I'm not going to be here. But since... I've been seeing you using these raggedy old game bags. I got you some caribou game bags, oh, too. Oh, God. Sweet. <laughs> so Dude. you got you some single bevel broadheads and some dang game bags. Dude. So you're just, if you don't go kill a deer with those broadheads or any broadheads and pack them out with those game bags, I'm going to be so upset with you. Bro, dude, damn. Awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Hell yeah, dude. That's awesome. Good Christmas, boys. Yeah, I mean, I'm over here using these like cotton bags, man, for like yeah, ever how long? Which I mean, they work, but yeah, they're good. But then, but, but then finally, you handled some of my game dude. bags after I killed my buck, and we were moving the meat around or something. You're like, oh, these are so cool. I'm yeah. like, yeah, they are. Yeah, those are sick. <laughs> those are sweet. So awesome. Heck yeah. Yeah, I used those. I got those for Christmas last year, and I packed out a beaver and oh, yeah. two deer with them. <laughs> I love them. Yeah, that's, I, I wonder if you're the first guy to ever pack out a beaver with them. Possibly. I'd like to know. That would be pretty Maybe sick. Maybe they'll throw me like a free shirt or something. Throw you a shirt. There you go. <laughs> Hashtag sponsor. <laughs> yeah. Which, okay, we got to get off this. This is some outro talk we're talking right here, guys. Mm-hmm. Um, 
All right, let's get let's actually get to like the meat and taters of, of everything we're talking about. Meat and taters. So when it comes to hunting Alabama, uh, again, that's going to be the topic for today. And coming from either, especially coming from another state and having a longer hunting season, once your season goes out, uh, you have a couple options when it comes to license. And that's why I want to cover real quickly right at the beginning to kind of talk this. So Alabama, there's some states that have like a true annual license. So like when you purchase it, it's good until that following date of the following year. Alabama is not like that. So when you purchase a license with Alabama, no matter if it's the all game license, which is the most expensive license, or you get small game, it doesn't matter. Uh, as long as it's an annual license, it will go bad or you have to renew it uh, after August 31st um, this coming year. So that's something to kind of think about uh, when it comes to us. Uh, so if you were to like maybe do a late season deer hunt and then you want to do a turkey hunt down here, which I would highly recommend, especially yes. North Alabama, um, you know, it might be worth it for you. Uh, some other guys might be like, you know, I'll save my money and maybe try to do something different. But I'll kind of talk about uh, license pricing. So if you were going to come down here and you wanted to do a just a three-day hunting trip, the three-day uh, big game license or all-game license, and this is for deer or turkey. You can do either one. Uh, it's included with that. Uh, it's $139.60. The 10-day, uh, which I guess what most guys would do if you're coming down here for a five- or six-day trip, you're going to have to get the 10-day license. Uh, it is $197.85. And then if you want to do the annual license so you can hunt both deer and turkey, um, it's three hundred and twenty dollars and thirty cents, which is pretty steep. Uh, but that's it's about the same as but, that. That's actually cheaper than Georgia and Tennessee. Yeah, I mean it's comparable for sure uh, throughout the southeast on uh, out-of-state license and non-resident license. But that's kind of just kind of get that out there for you, so you have a ballpark on pricing. So then we can start talking about a little about you know what you can expect uh, if you want to come down in January or February to hunt deer down here and, and really maybe some areas of the state that you can find some success doing that. And this mm -hmm. goes for someone, you know, either you live in Alabama, or you're a resident of Alabama, or if you're coming from another state, maybe you can plan a trip and make this happen. Speak about talking about that. We did a podcast on this last year with, um, why can I not remember his name? <laughs> interviews with the hunting masters podcast. Oh, out of John Sloan. Yeah. John Sloan. Um, really good podcast out of Arizona. We did a podcast with him last year about the same topic. I just did the same topic on the East Weeds Met East Meets <laughs> West hunting podcast. Like last week, everyone go listen to that. It was a fun episode. Yeah, but uh, like we did this with John Stallone from uh, Arizona on his show uh, because he's been coming out here from Arizona uh, the last like three or four years. Yeah. Uh, now he he goes. He's got a uh, a friend that's a. Um, runs a outfitting business in Alabama. He has a lot of success with them and enjoys it coming over. But he comes out here in late January uh, and hunts with him uh, just because it's another opportunity to come out and get some meat, you know, you know, and, and spend some time in the deer woods where he doesn't get that experience out in Arizona. So, again, yeah. it's a really cool advantage. Aaron Schneider does it too. <laughs> I just smacked myself right in the mouth with this hair. You hit it in your eye too. Like, it, no, I didn't hit my eye. Oh, dude. <laughs> That was retarded. That was stupid. <laughs> stupid. Was all right, all right. Let's go on. <laughs> okay, put the arrow down. You're gonna hurt yourself. Yeah, man. I'm gonna put my eye You're out. Gonna poke your eye out, kid. <laughs> um, but yeah, like you said, Aaron Snyder's come down from uh, Kafaru and Kafaru Cast. He's came down here as well um, from Colorado and done a few trips down to Alabama. It's just a fun experience. Whether you're coming, you're hunting public land or private land, you're gonna be able to find a lot of deer. There's a lot of deer in Alabama, an mm -hmm. absolute lot of deer. Um, and maybe let's talk about a little bit about 
uh, maybe some bag limits on what some people could possibly expect. You can kill three bucks annually in Alabama. You can kill one doe per day with no limit. And you can kill as many coyotes and as many hogs as ammo you have or arrows you have. Mm-hmm. So, um, really generous bag limits for sure, um, especially compared to other places we've hunted. Yeah. So, yeah, you can come down here and freaking clean up. You can kill all kinds of stuff. Yeah, especially a lot of people really, they're like three buck tags. That's crazy if you're coming from like, you know, up north or Midwest or something yeah, like Kentucky, that. Yeah, Kentucky where you get one. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people are like, oh, that's crazy. But you know, there I, I know there are guys that tag out, but you know, there's an opportunity to be able to do that. If you yeah, it's like to. if you're a dude in Kentucky and you killed, you tagged out in like late October on your one buck. You just been sitting around bored, man. Unless they're hunting, maybe Southern Ohio or Indiana or something like yeah, that. Yeah, maybe yeah. Tennessee. But come on down here. Yeah, it's a fun trip. It it really is. Our buddy uh, Jacob Emery um, from Kentucky. Uh, he had messaged me about trying to come down here, maybe doing a trip. I don't know if it's still on the table for him. Damon Bungard wanting to come down here. Damon Bungard, uh, who was with uh, Jackson Kayaks and Orion Coolers, uh, he's done the same thing, talking about trying to come down here. It's really because of the experience. I mean, dude, you can come down, hunt public land down here, and find – the cool thing is you're finding rutting activity. It's not like you're coming down here and you're, like, trying to find the food-to-bed pattern, which is whatever. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to, like, coming down and having a fun hunt. It's already going bananas. Yeah. And also, it's mild conditions. You know, you guys up north, especially the guys up north, you know, you're dealing with snow. Listen, that is never you, – you don't need no chains. You don't need nothing like that coming down here unless no. you get stuck in the mud. All right? Yeah. So yeah, we don't get snow in Bama very often. Yeah, we just get that red mud. So mm-hmm. That's one thing I was talking to Bo about on the East Meets West podcast. Yeah. About how, like, up there they're dealing with just, like, a brutal winter. He's in Pennsylvania. Um, I think, and they're they're up there dealing with snow and like freezing conditions. I'm like, dude, it's gonna. I I when I called him, it was right before my wedding, and it was like the week after my wedding. It's gonna be like 70 degrees or something. Yeah, and he couldn't believe it. And I was like, come on down, dude. Dude, it's awesome. I'll and put th- you on one. I'll try. And it doesn't really affect the deer all that much. No, yeah. not at all, dude. A lot of guys are like, oh man, you know, it's 70 degrees this week, deer. It doesn't know. affect the deer. It affects the hunters. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, because the mosquitoes, that's another thing. Oh, so, God. one tip, <clears throat> pro tip for everybody. <clears throat> if bring you a thermocell, yeah, bro. Bring a thermocell, bring some bug spray, because you will need it in December, January, and possibly February. So Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, we got our cold snaps, but uh, anyways, we're going to talk about <laughs> tactics a lot. And this is going to be kind of a mix of, this is going to be a mix of t- covering the subject of hunting the rut in Alabama, but we're also going to be kind of highlighting the best tactics of 2019. Um, because I mean, I think we've both had stellar years, really. I mean, we've been all over deer. You haven't been able to hunt that much, but when you have hunted, early season was ridiculous. You've I been, had opportunities. You were all over deer. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, it's going to be kind of a combination of both like best tactics. And I was talking to Hunter Lindsay today about stuff that's been working to me, so we can cover that too. Um, but first and foremost, whether you live in Alabama and you want to go to a different place and rut hunt, or if you live outside of the state, go to OutdoorAlabama.com and look up their rut map, because they just published one, and it is extremely accurate, mm-hmm. um, at least the places that I've hunted. I'm sure around some of these border areas, you know, you're going to get gray areas uh, where, where two different times meet, like rut times, uh, but for the most part that i mean that thing's pretty dead on yeah i mean for where men you hunt the the rut dates it says all those big deer that we were sending to each other all of them got killed 
just about every single one of them got killed in those days. Yeah. So I mean, they're they're scary accurate at least in the places that I've been to, mm-hmm. and I've hunted north to south, east to west. I've hunted a lot of different places, and it's definitely accurate for pretty much all the public land I've hunted during the rut. Yep. Or all of it, not pretty much, literally all of it. So um, definitely look that up. That's going to be a big help to get you started. All right, so that's first. Let's kind of go a step-by-step basis. Yeah. So once someone goes on the Outdoor Alabama website and looks at the rut map and also maybe starts dialing in on, on what part of the state they think is going to be coming into rut, mm-hmm. what would be, what would be your advice for, like, your second step before you come down? Like, what, what should they be doing? What, if it was me, I would be looking at, the different the different um like ecosystems in Alabama like the kind of stuff I'd want to hunt like do I want to hunt a mountain do I want to hunt a big river bottom do I want to hunt swamps do I want to hunt you know just kind of lower Alabama just kind of clay hills sand hill types type stuff um once I figure that out then I'd try and line that up let's say like okay I want to hunt I want to hunt something pretty mountainous I want like good topography bluffs rocks big mountains I'm going to figure out what part of Alabama has that or what parts of Alabama have that, and then I'm going to go and line that up with the rut map and figure that out, I think. Yeah. I'll say what I would recommend too. And this this might be a good thing. So once you do maybe figure that out, like what part of the state you really want to hunt, because, um, again, the rut, it's it's so crazy in Alabama. And looking at that rut map, you really kind of get a better idea of what you're looking at. Once you do that <clears> – <throat> and you find a region of the state that you might be interested in because the timing of when it's happening, you also can go on the website, Outdoor Alabama, and look at the management areas or the national forests that are in that area and find those counties that are, should be coming in at that time frame and kind of look at some of those management areas and what looks best for you. You know, pull up on Onyx, pull up on Hunt Stand, whatever you're using, and start dialing in and, and figure out, okay, what, what do I think would be best for me coming in from out of state or from traveling from different parts of the state of Alabama? Also, what I would recommend very early on is go – so Alabama has a fantastic Facebook um, – the state of Alabama has a fantastic Facebook public land hunters page, which Andrew's an administrator for. And what's it called again? Alabama WMA Public Land Hunting Club. It's pretty long. It's kind of a mouthful. It is a mouthful. But I would highly recommend everybody listening to this that would be interesting in hunting in Alabama or traveling in Alabama to hunt to get on there. And what I would do is I would look at – the year pass. Look at last year's. Go to like last year's um, stuff or search mm-hmm. certain names for certain management areas. Yeah, because uh, that's a, my secret. Dude. That's what I do. Because a lot of guys, they will, you know, a lot of public land in Alabama. We don't have very small public lands. You know, everything's at least t- mo- well. Which, th- there are some small stuff. Majority of the bigger stuff is twenty thousand, thirty thousand, forty thousand acres. Mm-hmm. Okay, majority of the bigger stuff. Yep. And guys are willing to say where it's at, just what management area. Yeah. And you can look in the comments of whether or not they're rutting, chasing during certain times when this guy killed it. Yeah. And you can use that, and it's extremely accurate for the following year, the year you actually want to go. That's the thing, dude. The rut happens at the same time every year, give or take a few days. I mean, it it had like, like if it happens the first, like let's just say, for example, first six days of November are like your peak breeding. Those first six days, give or take one or two days, it's going to be the same. So that is, as, as someone traveling to a place, that is your best tool because you know that those deer are doing that. Those conception dates don't change year after year. They've been studying it for a long time, and they don't change. So you can bet that they're going to be doing their thing, and if you're not seeing them, then you're just not in the right area. It's not because they're not rutting, Yep. Uh, which I think we talked about that on last week's podcast or maybe the week before that, where, where Will and Brady – and Ben all killed bucks within 
I mean, five miles of each other. Will and Brady were within the, less than a mile of each other chasing. And then right in the middle of where all those guys were, I had another friend, and he didn't see anything. He saw a group of three does. He's like, I just don't think the rut started yet. Meanwhile, that same morning, three of my buddies had killed killed bucks chasing does. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> but that's another big tip I'd recommend to anybody is, is get on social media. A lot of guys are willing to talk. And it's just kind of snooping around and just seeing what's happening during certain times of the year, especially if you're trying to plan this for this season, which I'd recommend if you got some vacation time, uh, you know, try it this season. I think it'd be worth, especially if you don't have to travel mm-hmm. super far, it would be worth coming down here and doing it. Uh, but there's certain places that are notorious for having, especially fantastic gun days, okay, if yeah. you're coming down here. So one thing special about our public lands on management areas they're very highly managed when it comes to the hunts for most of them. Where, you know, it's most of the time, on the most part, going across the scale, there are some that probably stand out that aren't like this. It's majority archery, and then they have designated gun hunting days. Where it might be a weekend, or it might be four days, it might be a week, it might be something like that. And you have to look at the regs, because each management area is going to be different, okay? Yep. Um, look at that, and if you call the biologist and try to figure out who is in the area that's kind of managing that property, uh, which isn't very hard to find, you can uh, call, and within a few calls, you'll be able to get in touch with whoever's going to be managing mm-hmm. it. It has it on most of the maps, too. Yes, it does. Um, you can find those people and talk to them, talk to the biologist, and figure out, you know, over history, over the last four or five years, ever how long they've been there, what are some of the best, especially if you want to come down on a firearm hunt, a gun hunt, you know, what are the, some of the best days and some of the best hunts, uh, you know, historically that are fantastic for, you know, a lot of big deer getting killed or just a lot of deer getting killed. And they're very willing to share that. Um, I know the biologist on the place that you and me hunt a lot, uh, he was telling me that, that uh, December is like the 14th, 15th, 16th hunt is normally the, the weekend where a lot of big deer get killed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that did happen this year. And it's kind of the same thing year in, year out. Yep. So you can find that from all these biologists because that can really help narrow it down now. If you want to come down and you're going to be down here for four or five days, you know, bring your bow, bring your rifle, come down. And most of the gun hunts are going to be on the weekend for the most part. They'll be like a Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. But if you're going to be down here like a Monday through Sunday, you can archery hunt all week long. Get ready while you're archery hunting. You're scouting for that gun hunt, so you can go in and, and kill a slammer fr- no Friday more, morning. Mr. Nice guy. Yeah, Friday morning or Saturday morning. Yeah. Um, which, and and dude, so much of the public land in the state is just. It's it's really good public land because as as like after I started being able to drive and everything and now over the last however many years it's been since then, uh, I've noticed like as I've traveled around more and more, I always would like discount places like, oh, I don't think there's any big deer there. Like there's something about this place just doesn't scream big deer. Every time I, I, ha- I end up getting proved wrong because someone, someone kills like a slammer off one of these properties, huge buck, and that I didn't expect. So the moral of that story for me is that, uh, I mean, don't underestimate any property out there. They've all got, I mean, if you're happy with like a Pope and Young Deer, every management area has got a Pope and Young Deer on it. I'd, oh, yeah. I'd bet anything yeah. that all of them. And bigger. And, well, let's let's go. Okay, so next step. So after somebody's, you know, gone to the website, they've purchased their license, or they figured out when they want to come down time frame, they've looked at the rut map, they figured out, okay, I'm going to do, you know, a 10-day license or a three-day license or whatever. Um, you know, they've gone on social media, they kind of find out a little bit more, you know, from years past, uh, you know, what's happening in these areas when it comes to running activity. Maybe the next thing they did, they called a biologist on one of these properties and kind of talked to them about some of the better hunts, you know, time frames to be down there and hunting that. 
what would be your next step on what you would do before coming down or planning that trip? Um, you know, hmm. one, one thing that kind of jumps up to me is maybe what you're looking for gear numbers. Are you, are you, are, are you looking to go somewhere where, are you looking to go somewhere for true quality? Like be able to kill. There are, there are places in Alabama, public land parcels that are known for deer pr- producing near 150 inches and bigger. Mm-hmm. Okay. There are places in Alabama, public land that's known for that. Um, and we've had guys on the podcast that hunt there that have killed some of those big deer. Mm-hmm. Um, Michael Perry being one of those, but those areas don't necessarily have the deer numbers that some other places do. So do you want to come down, you know, it comes down to your personal experience. Would you want to come and hunt someplace that just has a ton of deer? It has a chance to kill some big deer for sure, mm-hmm. and definitely there's a lot of really, really good bucks. You know, a really good buck down here, in my opinion, is like a hunt between 115 and 125 inches. That's like a super solid deer for around here. Okay? Yeah. Um, you know, very respectable. Um, but there's other parts of the state where you can kill a lot bigger deer than that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, like those North Alabama places, and again, we've said it before, I'll say it again, but like Bankhead. Mm -hmm. We used to talk about Bankhead all the time, uh, especially when I was growing up. I mean, it's had the reputation it's had for a long time. And we used to talk about it all the time, going to hunt up there. And we would meet people that hunted up there, and they'd be like, yep, you don't see a whole lot of bucks, but if you do see one, it might be a good one. It'd be a slammer. Yeah, so like people are talking about, yeah, I might see one buck a year, but it's usually a pretty good buck like three bucks a year and usually one of them's a really nice buck my opinion though your thoughts do you think you could make something happen up there in a four five six seven day hunt that that's the tricky thing it is especially mm. especially if you're coming down and you didn't have anybody else like a local you were hunting with or you could get information from i personally feel it'd be too difficult to come down here and have success, I feel like it'd be kind of miserable for a lot of people. Yeah, for that place. So who? I think we we're talking to Tyler or somebody about this, about going to these different places to hunt. And I'm like, man, there's some places I go where I'm going there, I want to kill like a big deer. And then there's some places I go where I'm going there for like where it is, mm-hmm. like the experience of the place. And like, just for instance, if I were going to hunt a place like Bankhead, and if that's something you're interested in, you're interested in like kind of a, and when we say bank kid, we're talking kind of like Sipsy Wilderness. Which is 112,000 acres, I believe. It's giant. Not yeah. the wilderness, the National Bankhead National Forest. The wilderness is in the middle of it. Um, that wilderness area, is, you know, it's roadless, it's rugged, it's, free, it's really cool terrain. It's one of the coolest, most unique places in Alabama. If you're in a, a guy who's interested in that kind of like backcountry type stuff, that's a cool place to go. But, you know, that would be one of those things where maybe it's like kind of a multi-year thing. Like you want to go back and you want to really learn that place and hunt it. I think that if you put several years into it, you could do it. And, of course, you could go and kill one the first year. It would be really hard to do, though. So when I'm going out of state, you know, whether it be Georgia or Tennessee, which are the two places I've hunted outside of Alabama in the south, uh, I'm looking for high deer densities. Like I want, I just want a bunch of deer. Because if there's a bunch of deer, then, I mean, again, I'm not the pickiest guy in the world. I'll shoot a small buck all day. But if I'm traveling, you know, obviously I want to shoot like a nicer buck. But I want to see a bunch of deer, you know. I'll say also, again, another thing I love about Alabama, you get three buck tags. So if you do get a Mm -hmm. small buck that comes by and gets you freaking excited, put an arrow through them. Put a bullet in them. Yeah, get them. You got three more tags. It's not a big deal. And, I mean, if it makes you happy, shoot it. I mean, that's awesome. Congratulations. Like, again, I get pumped up for guys like that. Um, but that's a good point. So deer density is key for, like, your kind of personal experience. Again, I'm the same way. If I'm going out of state, 
I personally want to go someplace that has a higher deer numbers and higher deer density because I feel like the sign's going to be more prevalent, especially during the rut. Mm-hmm. The sign's going to be more prevalent. You're going to be able, in my opinion, from personal experiences, mm-hmm. hunting like t- especially Tennessee, it's a lot easier to go in blind in some of those areas and truly find deer yeah. fairly oh, – I'm not going to say fair. If you know what you're doing, fairly easily. Yeah. You can get on deer. Yeah. Um, and, and get on good bucks, too, just by using topography and looking at arrow photos and, and figuring out what you think would be good bedding. Mm-hmm. So, that is going to be key. Now, that being said, there's different parts of the state that have better deer numbers than others, I, I think, on publicly. I mean, I don't think there's any place that has super low deer numbers other than probably Bankhead. Yeah. Um, just kind of over the whole state of Alabama. Um, but like South Alabama got some stupid high deer numbers. Yeah. Um, a bunch of public land down there. Oh yeah, and uh, also they got a later rut. Uh, mm-hmm. for anyone that's actually looking to come in, uh, you know, even later in the season, you know, getting into late January, going into February, you know, there's opportunities for you to go down there and, and get in that activity. But you know, be an area that has a ton of freaking deer, uh, and it's not hard to find some of these places. It's just kind of dabbling in and really calling, you know, a couple different area managers. Uh, you know, land managers and biologists that can kind of give you that information because they're going to be straight up honest with you. I mean, they they're mm-hmm. out there, you know, yeah, every, they're just doing their job. They're they're out there every day. You know, every day they're on, they're on call or they're working, um, and they know that place like the back of their hand, so they know exactly what the deer numbers are like. Oh yeah, dude, and, and going to those deer density places like, man, like we used to rabbit hunt down around Sprott, Alabama. Um, we would go. To, you know, I've, I've never heard of Sprott. You never heard of Sprott? <laughs> no. Not many people have. <laughs> say pineapple. I know where that is, but Sprott, Alabama, is it's kind of like down around the Black Belt. Um, gotcha. But we we used to go down there and rabbit hunt, and I remember going down there to rabbit hunt, and just the the freaking just like wads of deer that we would run into. And I was like, I have to hunt what, down what, here. What, what county is that in? Uh, I don't know. So I'll say this. So I've got that's another good point. That's another really good point. Maybe Dallas, uh, Dallas and Greene County. Okay, mm-hmm. so I've had uh, uncles kind of going back to deer density. There are certain, especially in South Alabama, like South Central Alabama, there are counties like Dallas County, Greene County, that have been notorious last twenty years of having extremely high deer numbers. I had I, my uncles who were all into like doing big leases and, and big getting big clubs and everything. Had some clubs down there that they do. They would take off. I think there was like fifteen members. They'd shoot like sixty five or eighty between sixty five and eighty does a year, and like. <laughs> 30-something bucks. And that's back when you could have five bucks a season, too. Oh, my gosh. And, but they were like, they were trying to do it because the deer numbers were so high. They had, I think, on one of their properties, it was a couple thousand acres. They had, I don't know, 30, 40 big food plots. They could not get anything to grow past two inches because it was mowed down like a golf course. There were so many does and deer out there. And there's places still like that down there. And you can find some pub clan close by that still has those stupid high deer numbers. Yep. Now, I got another question for you. It's a little late for it, but what about the SOA hunts? For someone coming in from out of state, would that be worth coming down for? Yes. So you talk about that because you're very, you know a lot more about it. You've actually done that hunt before. Yeah. And explain like how that process goes and how someone would go about entering that. So you go. Well, when SOA, what is SOA? It's a special opportunity area. It is a basically, a, it's, it's public land, but you have to draw to hunt it. So there's like a lottery system. Alabama didn't have any lottery hunts except alligators before this. So now they introduce this, and it's basically a very highly managed piece of property that is broken up into sections. So uh, I hunted Uchi Creek, and it was like, I don't know how many acres, a couple thousand acres. 
and it's broken up into like four or 500 acre parcels. And when you draw it, you get that four to 500 acres all to yourself and you can bring a guest. Um, and registration and everything for this is totally free. So you get four or 500 acres completely to yourself and they stagger the hunts on these places. So when I got it, that parcel had only been hunted one time three weeks prior to when I got there. Unpressured. Unpre- completely unpressured. As unpressured as you will find, period. Unless you have a place that literally nobody can hunt except you. Like, if you're hunting a hunting club, it's more pressure than that. It just oh, yeah. is. Hunting clubs are not low pressure. Yep. And neither are leases with a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. This is, like, when I say this is like the best land I think I've ever hunted in Alabama, it, it, there were so many deer on that place. That is a place with a high deer density. Um, Mark Turner, who was on the podcast not long ago, he's he's a biologist. Uh, he's working on his master's right now. Um, he was like, he was on that hunt with me, and he was like, we need to really kill some does off this place. Like, there's a ton of deer. I'm like, man, I'll come out here and kill them. <laughs> yeah. try. And then I missed one. Well, let's talk a little bit more about the SOA. So, yeah. you kind of explained it. It's public land that the state has purchased uh, from private ownership or has been donated that is strictly only for these draw hunts, these lottery hunts. Yes. Extremely high managed. One of the properties, Portland Landing, actually used to be, was it the Primos? Is it the Primos or Mossy Oak? I think it was, God, I can't remember. I can't remember now. It's a famous property. Yeah. You, you've probably seen on somebody famous like Will Primos or someone nail a bunch I, of big bucks there. I feel like, God, I, oh, dude. I can't remember who owned it, man. That's, that's going to hurt me, too. I cannot remember either. Someone's screaming at their I want to say it was, I, thought, right I swear I thought it was Primos, but maybe it's not. But anyways, yeah, it's, you know, I, forgot, I think it's 8,000 acre property. Uh, I don't know if it's that big. Um, but yeah, it was owned by either Monsioke or Primos for the longest time, super high manage, mm-hmm. some giant deer come off that property. It's actually been in, God, I don't want to say it was Primos cause I was going to say they talked about it's been in, they've, that property's been in a lot of different TV shows. When you did the interview with, um, Chuck Sykes, Chuck Sykes, he said that. Yep. Um, and people can go back and watch some, some seasons of, I think, I think it was Primos. And actually see them kill deer on that property, like big bucks on that property. Huge bucks. But it's now it's public land. Yep. It's and my buddy James Taylor drew a, a hunt for that. And the, I can't, I don't know if he's hunted it yet. I can't remember, but he sent me maps of me to uh, help him map scout it. And I was freaking drooling on these maps. I was like, oh, this dude, looks it's, so It's ridiculous. Good. Oh, it looks okay, so good. Stay focused here. All right. Yeah. Let's not get too excited. Yeah. All right. So, uh, what's the drawing process like? When would that go place? You know, take place and kind of everything with that. You basically, it's going to take place late in the summer for deer. Uh, I think that turkey just closed. Did you not put in? Oh, dude, I drew a squirrel hunt for Uchi. I'm not going down for a squirrel hunt. Well, it's like thirty minutes from me. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, it is it's in Russell County. Dang it, dude! Are you serious? Yeah, so I drew a squirrel hunt, so I'm gonna go out there and I'm use going, that squirrel hunt to scout. I'm it. opening an SOA right now. I'm trying to see if it close. Man, I'll, I'll, I'll well, cry. anyways, it'll be late summer. You put in, you can go in. There's no, it doesn't cost anything to apply for these hunts. You can apply for as many of them as you want, and you can build up preference points. So, uh, yeah, I mean, just go in and apply for every single hunt you could possibly make. Figure out when the rut times are, because yeah. obviously there's hunts outside of the rut. But even if you don't go in the rut, man, those this places are great. But yeah, that's the process of the SOA hunt. But let's not dwell on that too much, because uh, they got a bunch of information on that on the website. Yeah, but it's worth doing, especially if you're coming in from out of state, because it's a very structured hunt. It's like, you know, between, I guess, four or five days for most of those hunts. Mm-hmm. Uh, and most of them are during the week, uh, from the ones I've seen. And they have gun and archery hunts, you know, throughout the whole season. So... 
you know, if you can find out when the rut is on some of these properties going, register for those. You won't be able to do that to the summertime, but then you'll know if you drew one, uh, you can plan your whole vacation, everything around that, which would be fantastic. It's very structured. Um, okay. So we talked about that. All right. Now, what would be your next step, Andrew? Again, if you're coming to Alabama or trying to talk to somebody coming to Alabama, you know, what would be your next step after we've kind of gone over everything from, you know, license to the region of the state they want to hunt to the management area? Uh, Let, you, let's get to scouting and hunting. Okay, let's do it. Here's one thing I would do. Now, now having having been around to different, like, areas of Alabama and in Georgia, dude, like a seven-year-old cutover is the ticket. I mean, that's what it's been for us at least. Yep. It's got It's got pine trees in it that are big enough to where you can't really gun hunt it. Because you can't see into it, like, at all. You can't gun hunt out the ground. No, I mean, you can gun hunt the edge of it. You can't shoot very far into these mm-hmm. with a gun. Like, even if you get way up a pine tree, if there's, like, rolls in the hills and everything, the pines are bushy enough to where it, this is what I've been hunting all weekend is the cut over that edge. And it is freaking hard to hunt with a rifle. Because you get up, and you can kind of see into it, but, I mean, a deer comes through, and they are gone. I mean, just like that. I mean, you literally see it for one second, and then it's just pew, gone you could rattle in them yeah but um um so that that age cut over just seems to have the right kind of cover right amount of food in it we've been having luck so i'd maybe start with like a six to eight year old cut over be looking for that you can use caltopo or google earth um to figure out ages of cutovers um and onyx might actually have a layer for that i don't remember uh they had a timber cut layer but i don't know if onyx some of their stuff kind of lacks for the east because they're a western company yeah but um Anyways, I'd look for that. I'd look for transitions. Mm-hmm. I'd look for, for stuff like, you know, different age cutovers meeting, meeting hardwood bottoms, different age pines meeting, transitions and edges. I would go back and listen to Josh Driver's episode about... Diversity. Diversity and all that kind of episode stuff. Episode 141. Yes, two yep. episodes ago. Yep. So I'd go back and listen to that for sure. Um, and I'm not, I'm not really trying to, like bump up our podcast but man like these guys have helped me a lot so they've helped a lot of listeners dude right now we are sitting on like no joke like nine or nine or ten listener success stories that i haven't even posted yet that we've got that we've received over the last two weeks and it's just ridiculous and it's like guys that are some they're coming from different backgrounds some of them are extremely experienced public land hunters other ones are super super green guys that are going out using topics from the podcast Stuff that our guests have talked about and applied mm. it, and literally gone in with like a a um, what was the mindset? Um, really, just coming in with like a, just a fresh new mindset. Like, okay, I'm going to try this, and like not yeah. kind of have anything else to kind of get in the way of. I'm like, oh, you know, half, halfway through a hunt, like, oh, I'm going to try something different and mm-hmm. not stick with it. And they're going to kill a deer. Yeah. Um. So that's a that's a good yeah. that's a good point. Well, it's like what we've done over this fall is we've we've created like a catalog of at like great deer hunters from the south just just like you're good like the the kind of guys in deer camp that everyone's like yep that guy knows how to get it done yeah we've created like a catalog of these guys who came on here and were willing to share their how, how they do it so i mean you, people have got how many episodes 20 at least probably yeah 20 episodes well, really since two, really since uh, episode 116 with glenn yeah so yeah, pro- twenty or more just this year, not counting what last last year was, of guys who are really good at killing deer in the south, killing bucks specifically in the south, coming on here and giving you their experiences. So I would 
go back and listen to some of them and just refresh them because I'll go back and listen to them. And like you were talking about the other day with me, the second and third time we listen, we always pick up new stuff because we're students of this game just as much as anybody. Yeah. You know, like we bring these guests on to learn ourselves. Um, and something particularly helpful would be matching up, you know, the kind of terrain you're hunting with who you're listening to. So if I'm going to South Southeast Georgia – I'm going to go listen to Glenn and Robert Carter yep. a couple times. Or if I'm going to Central Alabama, oh, I'm yeah. going to listen to Michael Perry and yeah. Adrian and all that. So um, Mountains, Tyler Black, yeah. Damon Bungard, stuff like that. So, yeah, just like figure out what those guys are doing to have success and maybe put your own twist on it depending on, you know, what what you know about that particular place that you're hunting. Um, that's definitely what I'd do. Uh, just, dude, map scout the crap out of it. Have a plan A, plan B, plan C. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit more about map scouting, okay? Because mm-hmm. we, we did a pe- uh, episode 115 where we broke down like a really big property. That's another good one where we kind of went over this exact same topic. But yeah, what all would you be looking at after kind of everybody we've talked to, plus our personal experiences over the last few years, we would be looking at right now if you're trying to come in to hunt during the rut, you know, in January or February? I'm looking for diversity, like habitat diversity. I'm looking for the right kind of cover. So you'll find in Alabama, there's like, on most properties, there's no shortage of cover. Everything is a cutover. And we kind of, we do a bad job at this. We use the term cutover from everything from bare ground cut yesterday. To like. To like 10 years old. Yeah. So that's not good. We need to figure out a new term. Pine regeneration. Yeah, some like pine regen or whatever. Um, But I would look for cutovers that have some cover in them uh, but I, i'm really looking for like i said cutovers that have trees in them that are hard to gun hunt yeah um i really like those and like i said looking for diversity i'm looking for if like if an area has topography i'm looking for topographical features that will funnel deer and i'm almost exclusively using cal topo now for that yeah. so i'll go if i'm looking at an area and i found let's say i found my cutover or I found my two cutovers that look good. Maybe they're like seven years old, and they're they're thick. They look nasty on the map. It looks nice. I can tell there's probably cover in them just based on what their aerial photograph looks like. You can see gaps between the trees. It's not like a green carpet. Um, so I know there's probably good cover there. I'm going to go to Caltopo, and I'm going to turn on that um, slope angle shading, and I'm going to put it on, like, gradient. So everything is shaded based on the terrain mm-hmm. and that's like on top of your satellite image so it's like a hybrid map and like your yellows and reds are like steep as crap and that's what's going to really funnel deer hard in like hill country and if it's lower country then i'm just going to go straight for edges and water stuff like that so another thing i got from josh driver that i think we got to talk about is especially when you're using topography where topography and that different diversity habitat diversity all comes together where they're I found one place out here that I was trying to get my brother to go hunt, and uh, he didn't go. I was kind of getting your your thoughts on it. There's a bench and a point way down on this this hardwood ridge or hardwood pine ridge. There's a steep drainage that runs right out that point slash bench that runs straight up to the top, okay? as these two different ridges that come across, but there's four different edge covers, like habitat covers, that come at the top of that drainage, Okay. So I'm like, they've got to be using the side of that drainage going up and down to that bench because you've been to that bench before down there by that creek. I'd have to show you the map. Yeah. Anyways, and have, there's a lot of buck sign up top there, and there's 
unbelievable thick cutter, a fresh clear cut on top. There's a fresh clear cut, and there's like one that's like two or three years old up there. Mm-hmm. And then all these different pines and hardwoods come together. It looks amazing on the map. Okay. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm going to go in there. Next time I get in there, next time we get a you know a certain wind, I can get in there. Uh, I'm going to go try and dabble it. But it's like stuff like that. Like when you can find not only the topography, but also that different diversity, that habitat and edge structure that all comes together on with that topography. It's a freaking win-win. And that's what Josh was talking about. Like, it's all about edges and topography, like those mm-hmm. compounding features. Um, and if you can find that before you come down on a trip and you find some of that stuff, you can have a lot of spots where you can go in. And really, if you can come down and, you know, have five, six, seven days to hunt, use two days to scout. You know, get out there and, I mean, cover all these spots quick, quick, quick. And you can run cameras. I'll tell you one thing my brother's been doing this year, Thomas, my youngest brother, He's been running three cameras. He's he's back down here uh, from college. I was, um, I was just about to bring this up. Yeah. So he's back down here from college uh, on his Christmas break, and he loves trail cameras up there. I personally haven't been using them down here. Dude, he's been running trail cameras every other day out here in different spots where there's habitat edge cover. Like, he's working these edges where all this deer sign is, and he's checking them every other day, and he's dude, he's seeing deer all the time, and he's moving cameras. He's like, dude, there's bucks here. I'm going in, and he's either seeing deer or he's missing opportunities or something like that or w- wounded a deer, and yeah, we couldn't recover that for anyone that saw that early this past week. Um, it's just, this is crazy. So I learned from him. And, dude, I mean, he's 19 years old, and, you know, he's a good deer hunter, but he definitely, when it comes to the public land game, this is the first year he's ever kind of dabbled in public land. The way he's been using trail cameras, I'm like, dude, I've got to start doing that. Yeah. And I've learned that from him. Now, when you're down here on a trip like this, if you're coming down for a trip, still bring trail cameras, and I would do that down here. I'd come down, and those, those two days you're scouting, I'd be putting trail cameras out and then hunting and then checking trail cameras either midday or at night after you get out and check trail cameras and mm-hmm. see what's going on and try to learn as much as you can that, you know, five, six, seven days you're down here. Here's what I'm about to do. Cause I'm about, I'm about to, so the rut's over here. I'm about to completely transition to a completely different management area that I've never deer hunted before. I've deer hunted it maybe twice this year. Um, and I've duck hunted it once. And, uh, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to completely transition to this. Kind of like what we're talking about. If you're from Alabama, I'm doing what we're talking about. I'm going to this new management area and I'm just going to throw everything I got at it until the rut's done there. And then if I haven't tagged out or if I'm not like burned out or out of time or whatever, then I'm going to go to a different one when the rut ends here in like late January, go to another area. What I'm going to do, and me and Michael were doing this, or really Michael was, I just helped him run cameras one day. Uh, but we're literally driving down roads, especially roads that go through these thickets and everything. And you just go cruising down the road and look at the side of the road and find a trail that crosses, like a big, heavy trail that makes you, like, raise an eyebrow. And get out and just literally walk 10 yards into the woods and stick a camera right there. Or, like, into the thicket. Usually it's, like, thick brush and just, like, just far enough off the road that, like, someone driving by can't see your camera. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be, like, on the other side of a bush on the side of the road, dude. Yeah. Like, it could be three feet off the road and just watch that trail. And so then, like, you go hunt or you're on your way to hunt, you can literally jump out and walk five feet and check that camera in, you know, five minutes and be going on your way. And you can, like, bam, 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 run through those cameras quick. And you can learn, like, at least what deer in the area you know yeah what deer in the area but also how they're using that area i'll tell you another thing funny you said that so when i was hunting hog hunting with adrian farley uh which i think was episode 125 with him um 
we were anyways we were hog hunting down in a, a piece of public land management area and we were driving around and we did the same thing he, he loves doing that like finding heavy travel corridors going across the road setting a camera off i mean just 15 20 30 yards off the road okay on that trail before it splits mm-hmm. and he were driving through and he's like he's like yeah i got a buddy who had a camera right here we saw one big crossing he's like yeah he had a camera here for a long time he just took it out he like moved to another spot but he, last year he had a huge deer like coming through here like all the time mm-hmm. and it's like in a bend in the road which that's another thing adrian would talk about like in these bends of these roads there's normally like drainage coming up inside that bend yep and that's what that buck was doing he was coming down through that bend in the evenings or whatever and the guy had a camera on him and yeah. uh but it was just i mean literally off the road that like if you were paying attention on the road you weren't really looking off you'd never see the camera but the camera was just like right there that's how michael so so michael had a freaking giant on camera this deer is 22 inches wide it's huge he's huge okay and me and Michael, we hunt the same area. He's hunting the same area I kill my buck in. By the way, I sent that to I sent the photo and I'll show the video to the biologist and he agreed. He thinks I didn't ask I asked him how wide do you think that deer is? He's like, I think it's at least twenty two. God. It is giant. Like when I saw the video, like my jaw literally dropped. Like huge buck. Okay. And this is the same area that me and Michael, usually when me and Michael are traveling around and we're hunting the same areas, we share everything and help each other out. And it's boded well for us. I mean, we both killed bucks this year so far. Um, and we've both had a lot of opportunities, especially in Georgia. So so me and Michael, um, we're talking about this area, and, and he said that that's where he got that buck on camera. He's like, yeah, I got it on camera right here. And I thought I knew where he was talking about, but I was off a little bit. And we go in there to run his camera, this camera, he almost had me on camera two days before, or like a couple days before, because I found this trail that's going into this cutover. I drove by it, and I got out, and I started to walk down the trail, and I didn't, because I was just glassing from the road looking for a tree to get in, in the cutover. But literally, if I had taken like three more steps forward, he would have got me on camera, and I was, I was like right next to the road. That big wide uh, seven point or whatever it was, that huge buck, that thing was standing like three feet from the road in that video literally right next to the road dude there's like a brush pile right there behind like behind the buck in between the buck and the road and he's standing there behind that bush brush pile and you, you could spit on him if you drove by but that brush pile's there and you'd never see him and he just stood there for a while and then ran across the road broad daylight that's freaking crazy um okay back to topic though oh, so, tra- so so trail cameras <laughs> definitely can be used on one of these hunts when you're coming down for you know four five six seven days ever how long you're gonna be coming down okay mm-hmm. so that's something to think about okay all right next all right so someone's gone through everything they've done the aerial scouting they have an area picked out they have a date picked out they're coming down here what okay boots on the ground now we're boots on the ground they're they're all in okay you know well okay let me say this if you're coming down some public lands, like management areas, have camping grounds. The ones that we hunt for the most part don't, mm-hmm. uh, that I know of. So you can like sleep in your truck. So I get, I have no issue sleeping in my truck like, at all. Find a parking lot, sleep in the truck, no big deal. Oh yeah. Um, actually talked to the biologist too because I asked him because remember we slept in our trucks for turkey season like thirty four years ago. Yeah. And I was like, hey, would you ticket us if we did that? He's like, no, it's fine. Just don't make it a habit or something. Like it was like, it's yeah. Like, it's, you can't sleep at the gate like five nights in a row. Yeah, just he's like one time's fine. He's like just. Well, we didn't even really stay out there all night. I got off work at like one o'clock in the morning. Oh, I was there by ten o'clock. Passed out. Oh no, was, I didn't get. The, I got off work at like one thirty, 
in the morning and got out there at three and just took a nap and then went turkey hunting. But anyway, all right. So, you know, where I'm trying to get at is like for like where you're going to stay, you know, you might find a hotel close by. If you're coming on a budget, you can camp or sleep in the truck, whatever works for you. Um, and, and just kind of make that work for your, for your budget and also your time frame for wherever you're hunting. Cause some public lands, depending on where you want to hunt, there's not gonna be a hotel probably within an hour. Yeah. Um, so it's not gonna be worth staying in a hotel, in my opinion. Um, so someone's down here, boots on the ground. They've got everything. Maybe, maybe someone's doing this. They're coming down on a week on a management area where there's a gun hunt on the weekend, but they're coming down and they're coming down like on a Sunday. They're going to bow hunt, you know, they're going to bow hunt during the week and then get ready for the gun hunt that weekend and then leave. What would you be doing? Again, we kind of, we're kind of talking about scouting everything. Would you just mm-hmm. be dive ball, you know, diving in a bunch of different spots, kind of, you know, covering ground real early on just scouting, or what would you be doing? Yeah, I'd cover a lot of ground. If there's, like, power lines and gas lines and, and open terrain on the place where you could see for, like, a legit distance, uh, I would do some long-distance scouting, like kind of some observation sits. That's, like, one of my favorite things in the world to do now. Um, but, yeah, dude, just cover ground. Find those thickets and everything, and, and – uh, I I highly would recommend running those trail cameras right off the side of the road. Mm-hmm. I think that would be huge because you could cover the whole freaking management area in no time. Well, another thing, our, a lot of our management areas are extremely roaded up. So pretty much most of our management areas are timber property where the, there, there's active timber management and timber cutting on the property. Um, so there's going to be tons of roads, really good road systems. Also, depending on where you are, bring a bicycle if you're willing to do it because you can ride past a lot of gate like park at a gate and ride pretty far back really quickly. Yep. I would personally re- would recommend doing that. Just don't get a bicycle that's as big as a damn horse that Andrew gives me. And try, to, <laughs> try to ride that. So you couldn't ride it. No, I could not. Not with, <laughs> not with a 30-pound pack. It was horrible. So I threw it on the ground and freaking walked. Um, <laughs> but anyways, I would recommend doing that, you know, as talking gear. Um, but, yeah, dude, just cover a ton of ground. If you're coming down for a hunt, hunting public land, just cover a ton of ground the first day and a half, at least the first day, cover a ton of ground, find super fresh sign, okay? You know, find those thick areas, find, you know, travel corridors in between thick areas and setups. For the rut, I'm focusing on the most amount of deer sign I can find in, in doe bedding. If you can find that, you're going to have bucks coming through, especially in these high deer density areas, uh, especially like those cutovers. I yeah. mean, they are living in that. I mean, you pulled over on the side of the road looking at one of them after you just walked out, and there was like, what, five, six deer out there? Like, you could see them. Yeah. Yeah, they were all over the place. So, yeah. 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 Um, golly, every time we talk about this, like like the story comes to mind of uh, Mr. Benny. It is. It was back in the day. It was. I can't remember how many years ago it was, but it was a long time ago. It was back when you could kill um like more than one buck like in a day i guess and uh him and his buddy were hunting one of these like high deer density wmas and mr Brenny hears his buddy shoot like four times and he comes over the radio he's like i got bucks all over me and uh there was one hot doe and there was five bucks chasing her and he killed two of them <laughs> oh my god dude <laughs> that was a long time ago i'm pretty sure it was legal but it was it was, it was a while back but i like stories like that man just made me want to like travel to these different areas like yeah. that was in a swamp and i was like i want to hunt a swamp so what was it public land oh yeah oh dude mm, yeah i've never been there if if it's where i think it is man i've hunted is that where y'all get that hog Real big hog. Yep. 
Dude, I want to go there so bad. Oh, it's my favorite place in the planet. I love that place it's, so much. It seems pretty intimidating. It, it kind of is. But, uh, yeah. Um, what were you know what time of the year that was when the Bucks were chasing down there? Uh, I might be. I want to say I'm late. Not, I want to say late January because I asked him about it. Dude, I might be driving. Down, we'll do, we might need to drive down there for that. That's what I'm saying. This place I'm going to be hunting. It should go. It should slow down at the end of January, and about that time, that place will be cranking up. So I'm telling you, that, that's chills, my thing, man. That's chills. what I want to do. Yeah, that, that's the one thing. Like when growing up in Alabama, for anyone that doesn't live in Alabama, I was never like, I was like, man, this is a horrible state to live in for hunting. Yep, I and, thought so too. Because I'm like, I wanted that Midwestern rut. But then I think about it, I'm like, if you truly are, are able to hunt publicly, now if you're hunting privately and you're screwed because once the rut's over, it's over. Yeah. But if you're going to hunt public or have private, but you also hunt public, um, dude, you can travel and literally. Hunt chasing deer, like rutting deer, which you know, I know we've had a lot of guys on the podcast like Josh Driver that don't like hunting the rut because it's too unpredictable. But that's the fun part. I like, like, yeah. you don't know what's about to happen, man. It's exciting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, this. It, and I feel like in the rut, you can, it's way easier to go in blind and set up on stuff that you find on a map yeah. and have success. Early season, that is hard to do. Yep. But in the rut, you'd be like, this is a good saddle. It's got two bedding areas on either side of it. I think this might be good. And you go in there and just deer after deer after deer comes through. I love it, dude. Make make sure you bring in a family. Make sure you're gun-sided in it. Yeah, I used to hate the state, too. I used to really hate it. But now now I like it I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, like after, like, getting through college, getting through high school, getting through college, I'm like, I greatly appreciate this state. Yeah, yeah, man. Especially, like, in high school and college with all the time to travel, Mm -hmm. like, before you have a job and all that. And, like, hunting all over the state, I, I got, like, a big appreciation, which, like, I'm trying to sit here and run through everything I've hunted in my head. <sighs> I'm going to I'm gonna run through a list of places I've hunted so, we, so, so people can be confused on where I'm talking about from okay. now on. I have hunted, in the state of Alabama, Cahaba, Lowndes, David K. Nelson, Barber, Hollins, Oh, yeah. Chocolat. You've hunted deer in, uh, for, at Hollins? Yes. Oh, wow. Eufaula, Yates, mm-hmm. Tuskegee National Forest, Mount Chihaw, like Talladega National Forest, uh, Coon Creek WMA. Uh, where else? <laughs> I'm trying I'm, to I'm leave the last Oak, one out. Oakmulgee. Okay, yeah. There's one I'm leaving out yeah, for leave, sure. Yeah, leave the other one <laughs> for out. Sure, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I greatly would appreciate it. <laughs> uh, I, think that, I think that's all. Yeah. Um... Man, I, I feel like I'm leaving one out. What am I leaving out? Oh, I'm going to hate myself. You've never hunted Delta, have you? No, I've never hunted the Delta. I've never hunted Wheeler, which will answer some questions people have been posting on some of our YouTube videos. Oh, Jesus, yeah. Yeah, never hunted Wheeler. Um, I've squirrel hunted others, but I haven't deer hunted. I haven't deer hunted like Sam or Murphy. You never hunted Skyline? Uh, have I? Did you drive up there last year? I don't think you did. Maybe. Anyways, we're kind of getting off topic here. It's not all about us. We're trying to. That's true. But what I'm saying is, like, I've hunted like that range of places just all over the state, and all of those places are good places to hunt. So what I alluded to earlier about saying I used to think that all these different places sucked. There's a large portion of those places that I just named that I thought were garbage because I went there twice and was like, yeah, there's no deer here. Because I didn't see the sign I wanted. Or I saw a bunch of people and I was like, there's no bucks there. And then, especially over the last couple of years doing the podcast and writing for AON and like meeting more hunters 
from different areas and getting kind of plugged in with those guys and seeing what's killed off those places, I'm like, there's good deer everywhere. Yep. They're not around every tree, but like that, like don't think that you're going to pick a WMA that there's like no bucks on. All of them have good bucks. Yep. I promise you. So with that being said, like the best tactics of 2019, we'll kind of go over that now. And that'll, of course, like tie into this hunting stuff. Mm-hmm. But for me and you, this is kind of like our year ender, which again, we're going to have more like post rut stuff, probably maybe more rut stuff and just deer hunt stuff up until end of February. And then after NWTF, man, it is switching hard to turkey, son. Oh, I'm excited. But anyways, <laughs> anyways, <laughs> best for me, I'll go and then you can go. For me, one of the best tactics of 2019 has been the whole idea of like hunting thick, hunting thick cover. And I've learned two things about it. Um, first of all, if you're not seeing deer, you just need to move. Like don't, like, I, I don't know. For me, I haven't. I've I've sat places, and if I haven't seen deer there, I just bounce to the next place. I like maybe throw two sits at it at most, um, but just hunt. I'm trying to hunt where the deer are, like we talked about. And uh, if like the sign is not like so fresh that I'm afraid I might have bumped a deer off of it, then I'm looking for more. You know, so I've learned that. Uh, I guess a couple more than two things. I've learned that you need to bounce around until you find them. I've learned that uh, that hunting thickets, you're going to see a lot of deer, like just like people say. There's going to be deer in there. You just have to be careful about how you approach it and everything. But the main thing about hunting thickets is you're going to see a lot of deer, but they're freaking hard to kill. They're yeah. really hard to kill. Well, that's what Adrian was talking about in his episode. He's like, you're going to see a lot of deer, but the problem is you're not going to be able to kill everything you see, even with a rifle. Um, oh yeah, that is so true. Like it's it's not a guarantee. It's not like oh, if I see him, he's gonna be dead. He could be thirty yards from you, and you just can't get a shot. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking like with this, you can like check a text message for two seconds and look up, and like your opportunity just you never even knew it was there. Yeah, uh, like they 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 leave as fast as they show up. I mean, they just pop up, especially with these cutovers we're talking about with the pines in them, uh, which is what I gun hunted over the weekend. I saw over the course of the weekend, like while in the stand, I saw four deer from the stand and all four of them I saw for no more than five seconds at most. So that just goes to show like how fast things happen in these cuts. You can't, um, you can't be self-filming in those areas. Oh my God. Yeah. It's hard. Difficult. Super difficult. Impossible. Almost. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like I'm talking... Like, as soon as you see something, you got to scream at it and be like, hey, stop. <laughs> you know, get this thing to stop and then identify the target and figure out if you want to kill it. Yep. Send it. Um, okay, cool. What else you got? Um, definitely for topography, which makes me a little sad because the place I'm switching to doesn't have that great of topography. Not like like violent, steep hills that you can fall off of, like what we've been hunting, uh, which I like. But, um, Definitely topography, how how to use it to funnel deer. Not necessarily saddles. I've been looking more at like, I don't know what you'd call it, like a hard feature that literally forces deer to walk around it. Yeah, it's like with stacking a, lines. Yeah, like a saddle, they can walk anywhere in the saddle. But like where I killed my buck, like that buck had to walk right there because there's like a bench and the bottom side of the bench is like a drop off just about. I mean, it's super steep. He could walk down it if he wanted, but he didn't want to cuz it's like straight up and down. 
Um, and then the top side is also really steep. Not as steep, but I mean, it's just like a nice little bench. And, you know, this is one thing that kind of hurt me in the beginning is when you think bench, you think like a perfect flat little area. Most of the time, it's still a good incline. It's just not as steep as the rest of the incline for yeah. us where we are. There's places that have nice, real heavy defined benches um, that are flat, but in our area, it's like steep, 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 less steep, and then steep, 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 steep again. Yep. And the deer will walk that less steep part. Oh, I learned a lot this past week. About what? Um, for, well, a couple things. So I'll say what I learned le- uh, recently is in this area, <clears throat> I feel like I have more confidence hunting in the pines than hunting anywhere else. Like this time of the year, okay? Yeah. Early season, you can have fun, you can have a lot of fun hunting red oaks, white oaks, all kind of stuff. <clears throat> right now, acorns are gone. Acorn. Well, I mean, I've, I still see some of the deer are hitting like greeny brows still. Like they're they're hitting mm-hmm. stuff like honeysuckle. They're hitting green briar. They're hitting all kinds of stuff. That's growing in these tall, matured, thinned out pines that yeah. are thick and nasty. And dude. that's gonna hold for the rest of the year. Oh yeah. It doesn't change. It does not change. The habitat in there does not change. And a deer can be there and it's like from pretty much September to now, not a whole bunch of changes inside it. Like there's no yeah. real leap. I mean, there's there are some saplings in there, but there's not all much. the hardwood stems will, will fall and everything and uh, all the leaves on them will fall, and it'll get slightly more open. But like we talk about, like the viney areas, bro. Either. Listen, 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 listen. Uh-huh. Listen, I haven't taken you in here. If I take you in here and take you the way Thomas made me go when we went to track his buck, <laughs> listen, I was like, we're, it was so thick, dude. It was so thick and viney and just briary and just like overhead thickness. It wasn't like just even thickness on the ground. It was like, dude, if you got up in a tree right here, I don't know if you could see me. Cause I'm walking through all this stuff. It's it was ridiculous, <laughs> and like I'm like tripping on crap. There's vines everywhere. Yeah, but that's what the deer wanted it to be. Yeah, and it's 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 just crazy. And like it's also crazy how different something looks like during daylight hours compared to night. Yeah, it's like oh daylight, oh yeah, I could walk around in that. You get on the ground at night, you're like oh my god, I can't freaking like. Yeah, it's just like <laughs> a walk, dude. Listen, we there's a spot so. I'll kind of talk about this, guys. So down here, the, the pines, our growing season is so long down here that stuff can get so thick, and the winters aren't so harsh, it kills everything back. There was a spot in these pines where you could tell there used to be a, probably an old logging road around the edge of this big, steep drainage on this creek, and uh, it was all overgrown with, like, briars and stuff, but you could get up in a tree, and you could see 100 yards down this. It was thick. Like, on the ground, you can't see nothing. It's, like, head high. You get up in the tree, you can see through it all. It's fantastic. Well, normally I would go back, run the ridge back down, and run back to the truck, okay? When me and Thomas went in there after he shot that deer, we circled from the south. Well, I guess it's from the south. and swung up to it, okay? Mm-hmm. Coming from a different direction. He took us through that crap. We got out in that open spot, okay? <laughs> it was a wall of briars. And we had to, <laughs> I, I didn't, we didn't have a machete. Didn't have a saw. Had to literally put your bow out, his bow out in front of it, press it down, step on stuff, and like keep crawling over these briars. It was ridiculous, dude. To the point, I was like, there was deer trails and crap everywhere. There's there's droppings, there's rubs, everything. And I'm like, how does a deer go through this? It, it, <laughs> Especially it, a big buck. It amazes me, man. But it's like that's where they want to be. And you know, we've talked about 
when the leaf drop happens, how yeah. like the the like the, the, the sign just like disappears in those areas oh, where there's yeah. a lot of hardwoods. Yeah. This is something that it's not going to necessarily do that. There, there, there was some saplings in there, but it's nothing like, you know, big hardwood drainage. It's not like the leaves drop and you can see 20 more yards. No. You know. Bro. You, you can really see about the same distance. Yeah. It's, in this kind of cover that we're talking about. It's, it's fairly crazy on that. But where I'm kind of getting at this is what I learned from that over the last two weeks is that these deer, the, the, the deer were using the topography, um, to their advantage, kind of walking around it. They weren't necessarily walking the top. I was at the very high point of this ridge, okay, with a real steep drainage, and it's pines everywhere. But like when you start going down the hill, it's like open pines. They're they're like it's just there's you know some small saplings, but it's it's open, okay. Mm-hmm. Second, you get on top of the ridge, it's like open for 15 yards, and it gets to the thickest hell hole ever. And I was sitting on top of the thickest hell hole, like on that on that line right there. And what I noticed, and then Thomas went in there and actually shot one of the deer, is the deer were coming up and around these points on these ridges. That, you know, there's all these little micro points dropping off into the creek. They're working around it side hill and on these massive trails. Then they're coming up over the top right there where I was, mm-hmm. um, where really just all these kind of terrain features kind of all came together when it comes to, like, there's the big drainage came up, and they're working around the top of the drainage. And then working through these thick pines. Right there where those topo lines stack up. Yes. And they're walking around where those topo lines are stacked up. And it's amazing. I went in blind and saw like seven deer the first sit in a spot that everything looks the same. Like if without topo and you're just looking on aerial, everything looks the same. Mm-hmm. Put the topo lines on. Like, okay, the lines are stacking right here. I sat right where those lines are stacking. And the deer were coming right on the top of those lines. Yep. On the topo lines. Which anyone listening right now, if you do not know how to read a topo map, please go Google how to read topo maps, like learn, because it's going to help you a ton. But I just, I learned that. I was like, dude, I'm going to, I'm going to focus on hunting places that have much more steeper terrain because I feel like, especially with my situation with work and everything, I'm going in blind almost 90% of the time. Yeah. Um, you can go in blind those areas and actually have success knowing that the deer numbers are fairly high as long as you get the thick covering everything close by. But I learned that over this last week. But also what I learned this season was really, again, like hunting thick and using that diversity to your advantage. Like in Tennessee, like Tennessee was fantastic. Like, dude, if I was paying attention, I could do, I could have killed a freaking, or attempted to kill. I might, I might have missed. Who knows? Jacob could have missed that <laughs> 25 yards. You could have fired around at, or no, flung an arrow at. Flung an arrow at a giant buck if I was just paying attention. But it didn't happen. But I had seen so many other deer. Like I could have tagged out on another okay little eight point that came by and could have but sitting in a spot like that where you're sitting on an old fence row where everything else around it's all like the same kind of terrain like right on the creek just real just nasty thick stuff sitting right there on that old fence row where like it's all the big trees are at everything else around it it's not nearly as big and the deer were using that old fence row as like a corridor like just absolute highway and sitting at the base of it I saw so many deer, and it's like I just kept using it to my advantage every time I went up there. And now once the gun hunt started happening, muzzleloader, it totally changed because guys are walking everywhere in there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely learned that using that diversity, which if you look on the map, you know, someone that's not super relatively green on a, on aerial maps might not would have picked that up. That weird, like when you looked on aerial map, there was a weird little line going through the timber. 
You're it's like, like bigger trees. Yeah, like, yeah, like, what is that? Yeah, and you zoom in, and like, when you zoom in, like, on the winter photo on X, you can kind of see, like, oh, there's a line right here. I'm like, I bet you there's an old fence row, and you go in there, and it is. Yeah. The Man, the deer use those edges, man. And I learned that, like, the deer using those edges. Like, why go sit in the middle of something that everything looks the same? There's no topography difference. Or you can set an area that, because that's relatively flat out there. Yeah. You know, set an area that's flat, but you have that diversity, then you have that edge right there, and those deer are using it. That big buck was doing it. He was coming in, Jay hooking up into his bed and going up. Yeah. And he bedded in some thick, nasty crap. And shh, That's mean. why it's kind of funny. Like, it's kind of a running joke. But that's why property lines are usually pretty good places to hunt. I mean, as bad as that sounds, there's, a, there's a, almost always in the South, especially in Alabama, there is a some kind of transition between properties because property owners do different things with their properties. You know, you might have standing timber on your place, neighboring landowner cut his five years ago, and that edge creates like great habitat. Um, which is why, like, people, you know, like we used to talk about it all the time. We're like, why is it always such well, you always find so much sign like on the edges of the property? It's like, why can't it be in the middle of the property? Funny you said that. So, one of the biggest one, so I've had a multiple, I probably had five different opportunities killing some really big deer. And one of them was on our family farm. And that was the exact same situation on my uncle's property. They had clear cut a good portion of it on the property, like throughout the whole property, but a lot of it came up to the property line mm-hmm. and, um, came up against some pretty mature pines, big pines, just real thick pines, uh, that allowed a lot of sun through like thick, you know, uh, forest floor. And uh, sitting there, that, that was a, it was a hot spot. There was a field down the drainage right there, and it was a hot spot for a ton of buck activity coming from the south, coming from that thick cover, coming out into this cutover, which was like two years old. You know, everything was about, you know, waist high, chest high. Yeah. And uh, dude had a buck come out. He came out in that field and then swung up and worked that, I mean, worked the property line, like zigging in and out of the property line, dude, coming up the hill, like kind of brought that up to me. And came to this one big opening. I, could, I, I zoned out because of how big he was and, then it, I was probably, I don't know, probably 14, 15 at the time. I was trying to get him to stop, and I just zoned out once I saw his rack, like, full there. I was like, uh, 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 what do I do? And I couldn't, I couldn't whistle, couldn't do anything to get him to stop. And he just kept walking. I didn't want to shoot him walking. He was like, I, anyways. Um, Depressing. But he was doing the exact same thing. And I've seen that in a lot of places. You know, edges in this, edges everywhere are important, but definitely in the southeast when timber management is such a big part of the ecosystem down here. You yeah. can truly use the edges to your advantage. Big time. Thomas has been doing that. My brother, running mm-hmm. trail cameras, having a ton of success doing that. Just on an edge. Yeah, on, just <clears throat> on an edge, you know, a faint trail's there, and he's catching bucks slipping through, you know, running these edges, you know, on the south wind or, like, the, the downwind side of some bedding areas or going into a bedding area on these little points where these edges, like short pines, come up against a hardwood drainage. Yeah. And he's got the cameras there, and he's catching deer. And, again, nothing against Thomas. He's a, he's a, he's a good deer hunter. But when it comes to, like, all this stuff, he's just kind of going off of kind of, like, what he's learned from not only the show, but just what he's learned about edges in the southeast. He's scouted enough. He does a lot of scouting, and yeah. that's where he sees a lot of the activities on those edges, and he's been putting those cameras there, and he's having a ton of success. Yeah. So someone coming down here, that is going to be key for you is to find those edges and really use them to your advantage. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more with that. Um, what are tactics? 2019 that's i'll tell you one thing very interesting about michael's trail cameras so where he got that big giant buck on camera big that that, that should be on a t-shirt for you because you always say big giant buck. you never say big buck it's always big i don't know why buck i don't know why i do that (laughs) that's andrew's coined it coined buck i've always said big Big giant giant. big giant but i think my dad said it or something i don't know (laughs) but um 
Um, so you know where Michael got that giant buck on camera, right? Yeah. Okay. You know there's that SMZ that runs up into that cutover. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. When you get out in that cutover, it looks like freaking Texas. It's yeah. like sage grass. There's freaking cactuses growing all over the place. Dead cedar. It's weird. Um, but it looks, dude, it looks so good. I was drooling. I was like, Mike, if you do not hunt this, I'm going to come hunt it immediately. Uh, I don't know why he hadn't been hunting it more. I'm going to give him crap for it. But dude, it, it looks so good. It looks so good out there. And that's where I saw those deer. So he has a camera. He had it right next to the road. And then he had a camera in the tip of that SMZ, right where the SMZ comes up and meets it. So when you look at it, uh, the camera that was in the thick stuff, he had, he had a couple different bucks on it, some does, almost all daylight. You go 100 yards down into the tip of that SMZ, and the tip of that SMZ is covered. It's surrounded by privet, yeah, just thick. all kinds of thick crap. Mm-hmm. The camera in the hardwoods had like almost all nighttime activity. Whoa, really? Literally, really? literally, this far off the cutover. I'm holding my arms out, like people listening. Like no joke, like seven feet. That far in the in the hardwoods. Now, given maybe it's on the wrong trail, who knows? I don't know if he pulled that camera, but still, I mean, it's just like. For me, at least, I know people are killing deer in the hardwoods right now, uh, and it depends on the kind of hardwood you're hunting, but these are like central Alabama, beech tree, white oak, hardwoods, open underneath. You can see way out through them. Dude, yeah. There's just, there wasn't any daytime activity on those cameras, um, which obviously deer, deer pass through those hardwoods, deer use the hardwoods still, mm-hmm. but the amount of time they spend in the thicket. Versus what they spend in the hardwoods is so lopsided. Yeah. I just feel like when you're in the thickets, you have such a better chance at seeing them. I see a lot of guys having success on hardwoods. I saw a couple today popped up on um, one, of the, one of these management area has the, – all of these management areas have their own Facebook page. And one of them, um, a guy had some success. And, dude, I'm talking some open hardwoods on a place that uh, – you mean we've been down to that gun range down there in the hunt. Okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, anyways, and he killed this, I mean, a hammer of a deer, dude. A big, a giant buck. A huge Alabama, central Alabama public land buck. And uh, wide open hardwoods. I mean, took photos of, like, the whole area, like, where the buck was laying and everything. Wide open hardwoods. But what it looked like was it was wide open hardwoods between two super, super, like, you can see in the background, super, super thick stuff, like, maybe around the swamp. Oh, and I gar- yeah. and he killed it at eleven thirty. I guarantee he was moving midday in between those two areas through the wide open hardwoods, but moving in between them, yep. checking those two thick those two thick areas. Yeah, um, which you can have success doing that. It's just I feel like a lot of it is if you're in the right spot. If you're between two thickets and you're in some hardwoods, you're in a good spot. But if you're just in a creek bottom. And there's there's nothing else really going for you. You're just in a creek bottom, and there's like, yeah. you know, some you know some younger pines up top, and maybe some real old pine. Like, mm-hmm. you're not in the money spot. There I'll are certain you. spots where it can be super beneficial yeah. to be in those areas. I had an interesting perspective on uh, Friday, I guess it was. Um, <clears throat> Michael came out there and hunted with me, and we went to two different areas. I crossed this creek is right next to where I killed my buck. Uh, the drainage north of it. Um, mm-hmm. I went to that drainage and I walked all the way up that drainage to the very tip of it to where it ends in this cutover. And I got up way up in a pine tree as far, as high as I could. And I was looking down into those pines that I killed the buck out of. It was a different part of the cutover that's got less trees on it. So I could see into them a little better. And I got up there and I was watching it. So a couple things happened. Uh, 
before daylight, there's deer all in that freaking cutover, dude. I could hear him munching on crap. Jacob's shaving his leg with a broadhead right now, and it's distracting. The single bevel is stupid sharp. Stupid sharp. But, so, uh, I got up there, and I could hear deer walking around. I could hear him freaking eating stuff, making all kinds of deer sounds before daylight. What's a deer sound? I just want to know. I don't know, dude. They do, they'll, they'll like, not... You're making up terminology. Like, sneeze. Or whatever, like you can hear one sneeze, um, but you don't hear that that often. But I don't know, just sound like you can hear them bite stuff. Like, like have you hear you've heard a deer like eat an acorn, right? Yeah, it's like that very distinct pop. Mm-hmm. So I heard them do that a couple times, but I don't know what they're eating because there's no acorns out there. But anyways, I could hear I could hear them walking around and breaking twigs and stuff out in the cutover, and uh, then it got to be daylight and it got kind of quiet. And right before gray light came through. Like, right before it got to be gray light, this guy comes driving through the cutover, that road that goes through the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And these deer, I can still hear them around me. And they, this guy drives right by him. And these deer, he's going in to hunt. He's got 10 minutes before gray light. He's probably, I have a feeling I know where he went. He probably went and parked at the end of the road and walked and got in this hardwood bottom, which is what a lot of people do, myself included, as of last year. And meanwhile, as he's driving in, these deer are already in this thicket, eating in the thicket, in the bedding area, okay? So it it gets light, everything goes quiet. Mike is hunting up the creek drainage from me, and he's hunting in the hardwood bottom, close to where you hunted, oh, God. okay? Yeah. Mike didn't see anything that morning, and I saw um, I saw a bobcat and I think uh, two bucks and a doe, so... Oh, yeah, you did see the bobcat. I can't believe you didn't shoot that thing. Yeah, I didn't shoot. I, sh- I kind of wish I shot such a, it. such a turkey hunter, but you ain't shooting the bobcat. <laughs> I think eating all those pulps out I, there. I kind of wish I shot. But, dude, that was just interesting to me. Like, those deer were in there before daylight. Um, they were all hanging out, like, in this one part of the cutover, at least the ones around me. There was a buck and a doe together up in there. Uh, there was a little buck walking around by himself. Um, I don't know. I mean, to me, that's kind of what it boils down to is hunting in those thickets. I just feel like you're putting yourself in a more more of a high odd situation because you're up where the deer are spending most of their daylight hours, and you're going to the deer. Um, so I don't know. What, what, are, what are your thoughts on that? I'm rambling now. Yeah, I'm distracted over here. <laughs> Video on how sharp these broadheads are. Um, yeah, I mean, dude. I think the key is, I mean, this, seriously, the key in the southeast, you know, a lot of guys, there is a lot of hunting pressure down here, especially I've, I, I feel like I've seen a difference over the last few years. Like, yeah. Um, as, like, public land's gotten more and more popular to hunt, mm-hmm. um, which is cool. I mean, I'm all about it. Um, that hunting the thicker stuff, you're definitely going to, majority of the time, you're going to have more success doing that. Again, there are times, like, I, I know last year there was a guy who killed a, a very large 14-point on the north side of one of these properties that we hunt on, uh, which is actually closer to us right now, mm-hmm. um, in a what I mean, a fresh cutover, fresh cutover, and he was going in between one drainage to another. Guy shot it in the wide open, mm-hmm. and uh, anyways, and he was I think a newer hunter too. Again, doesn't mean you can't kill a big deer in the wide open. It can happen for sure, for sure, especially in the rut, especially during the rut. But definitely when it comes to overall success, if you dive into the thick stuff. And scout. The biggest thing that's been hurting me this year uh, since early season is, like, my limited time to really scout. I haven't scouted at all. So, it's going off, like, stuff I've learned from, you know, years past and also, like, what y'all are learning, you know, throughout this season, kind of applying it as well. Yeah. Um, 
and just kind of going with that. But if you can get out, you know, on one of these trips or, you know, making one of these hunts and you can scout around some of the stick stuff and you can find that sign, you can find those trails coming in and out, you can find the roads, find the scrapes, uh, see the deer, you can have more confidence going in there knowing that's what you're doing, you know, you're on the deer. It's hard to hunt an area when you don't know there's actually deer there. And it's stressful. Yeah. If you're going in blind, that's not a fun feeling. When you're going in blind and it's, you know, 45 minutes after sunup and you're like, crap. <laughs> I'm in the wrong spot. Yeah. Uh, which I'll say this. It happened to me this year. Uh, the day you and me went in that one spot off one of those creeks. And I got in and I was like, man, dude, I, I set up too far and had a deer, had a doe walk 12 yards from me and I freaking missed her. Smoked, <laughs> smoked, the, smoked the limb. So... Dude, I'm like baby clean shaven right there, man. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh. Quit quit being distracted. Dude, I'm podcasting. Yeah, sorry guys. It's an audio show, I know. <laughs> you don't want to see these legs anyways. <laughs> these legs are meant for radio. <laughs> but uh anyway, dude, it's just it's tricky. Like, you know, these tactics that we've learned for this year, the biggest thing is hunt thick, hunt fresh sign, and just go with that. And just be as successful as possible. I think one thing I'm gonna start try to start doing is if I'm going in the mornings and I don't have a spot, like if I'm not hunting like a topographical feature, maybe try to go in at gray light or wait until after gray light and like really just still hunt in kind of use it as like, you're like, you're scouting, like almost like you're squirrel hunting, like you're just slipping through. Mm-hmm. And if you find something freaking awesome set up on it, if yep. not to stay on the ground. Yep. Yeah. I, the, I was just telling Hunter Lindsay that today I was telling him, uh, that one thing that I've had a lot of luck doing this year that I've never done before, especially because gr- man, growing up, up until like this year, I have always been a morning hunter. Like I love hunting mornings. I don't like hunting afternoons for some reason, even though I've had a lot of success in afternoons. For some reason, I just like love hunting the morning. And uh, I was telling Hunter that this year I've been starting to do something different, especially with as much as we go in blind nowadays. I'm like... Man, I would rather, at this point in my hunting life, I would rather sleep in and walk in after daylight and, like, still hunt my way into an area and then set up, rather than try and walk in before daylight and find something. Because every time I set up before daylight, I feel like either I set up nowhere near where any deer live, or uh, I set up just in the wrong spot where even if a deer came through, I wouldn't get a clean shot at it. So I've been, I'm, I'll just sleep in and I'll eat breakfast and kind of hang out for a while. And then I'll leave my house at like nine or 10 o'clock in the morning and get out there way early. I'll get out there just as everyone else is leaving the woods. Like if it's a gun day or something and I'll just go easing in and uh, try and find me a spot for the afternoon. And that way you've got, you've got all day to go in there and you, to, and to find your sign that you want to set up on and find the hot stuff and be careful about going in. And, and it's it's worked well for me this year. That's one of the biggest things for me this year that's made a significant difference. I'll say for me, so I, I'm coming from the different background. I'm more of an afternoon hunter. Uh-huh. And I just, I kind of have in the past, um, you know, I like hunting mornings, but I've always seemed to have more success in the afternoons. But one reason why, and I really started doing this last year, which I have struggled this year doing because just like the different mindset. In Tennessee last year, I was very much – hunting a lot of afternoons and going in early, scouting my way in, easing in and find, trying to find that fresh sign, get set up real quietly and making it happen. We're like, I haven't been doing that this year. Yeah. And I feel like if I could do that, I would have so much more success. Cause dude, I love an afternoon hunt when you going in, 
you know, start at noon or even earlier and you're just kind of easing through, you're trying to find that super hot sign, you're going to get set up on it and you're going to, you know, be ready to go. You can do that in the mornings too. You know, that's what Adrian Farley does. He goes in at gray light. Yeah. So he can see, he picks his way through that thick stuff, finds a good spot and gets climbed up, um, which, I mean, can be super successful. It's just like that I, – I don't know if it's been his burden to me, but, like, if I'm still hanging crap and it's gray light, like it's starting to come gray light, I get stressed out. Me too. I feel like my morning, me I failed. too. I failed as a hunter. <laughs> yeah, me too. So I hate that, dude. I hate it. I hate it, hate it, hate it. But may, maybe it would be different, like, again, you know, on an archery hunt, you know, getting at the truck, waiting till gray light, then leaving the truck and, and then going. Yeah. Um, now, how would any of this apply, in your opinion, to, again, someone trying to come down here for that, you know, late rut in January or February? I definitely would not. Okay, if, I, if I'm if i traveling the hunt, and I do this now, like going to Georgia or Tennessee or whatever, um, if I'm going to a place, I'm definitely not going to, like, force myself to go in on morning hunts. Yeah. Uh, and like try and go in before daylight, unless I've got a, literally got a tree picked out that I want to go hunt, um, or I know, or I, at least I've been to the area and I know that I can set up there and do good. Uh, I'm not gonna waste my time going in there and bumbling around in the dark because I'm just gonna spook stuff and get angry and like not have a good time. Yeah. So I would, I would literally just again sleep in, wake up at gray light, and go out and scout slash still hunt your way into areas. Um, I think that'd be hugely beneficial. I'll say this. I grew up when I was first getting doing public land hunting, I hunted mostly mornings is really cause of work schedule and school schedule. Uh, cause I started when I was in college and, um, really I hunted a lot of mornings and I would go in blind dude. And I will say this, I had a lot of success early on going in blind and it, now I'm thinking about it. It was such a simplistic thought process on, Okay, I think deer are gonna be bedding here. I think if I can get in before they come back, I can sit here waiting for them to come back. And I did that. And yeah. I used to, I do I used to see so much deer. Like when I early started, especially like early in the season, dude, I hunt mornings and have a ton of success. And um it was just crazy. And now I think about it, it's like if you can go in I again I still like hunting mornings and even going in blind, it doesn't always stress me out because that's kind of like what I grew up doing. I grew up going in blind with a climber on my back, yeah. trying to find that tree and then climb up in the tree and get set up. Yeah. And it's something about that. I still enjoy it, but there's times when it's so stressful, man. Cause you're like, you're trying to find that perfect spot. And really there's a lot of times you can't find the perfect spot. You just find a spot that will do and you make it work. And if it doesn't work, you get down and keep moving. Yeah. And I said, that's one thing that, you know, having like a lightweight lock on or like the saddle or something like that, that you can tear down real quick and get down and keep moving is super helpful. Cause like having a big ass freaking climber, you might want to clap right there, but, uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> anyways, um, having a, like a big climber or something on your back makes it where like, you don't want to walk around. You don't want to cover ground. You don't want to do, at least me, I don't want to go through busting through brush and all that kind of stuff. Um, which again, kind of hinders you, especially in some of these areas when you're hunting thick pines, dude. That's the last thing I want my back's a big climber because you're gonna make so much noise, dude. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, what else you got? I was gonna say, well, over this topic, you know, kind of coming in and hunting, you know, hunting a rut, whatever. What else you what do you think that would be successful for them? Um, you know, we, we know people that have success calling. Um, you yeah, know. we got a couple episodes on calling. I haven't had it work for me, but I also don't do it that much. Yeah. So I, well, it's like one of those things you have to have confidence doing it. 
and Adrian, I've talked to Adrian about that too. It's like, you know, he has a lot of confidence in calling, and he knows that he'll scare some deer away. But, you know, it's just hard when you go out there, especially rattling. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I feel so unnatural doing it. Yeah, and it's too. And it's just like, I don't know, man. It's just like, you, if you don't have confidence doing it, you're not going to stick with it. If you're not going to stick with it, it's not going to work for you. Yep. Um, That's true. I will say, dude, I did grunt uh, quite a bit when I saw those, uh, the seven deer mm-hmm. uh, on that side of that big steep ridge. And freaking does came right up in there, like, no problem. I was, dude, I, dude, I thought the buck would be on one of them, man. Yeah. And uh, this wasn't, but. Anyway. I'll say one more thing. Yeah. I guess this this will be my last thought. Um, as far, and this is, this has been, again, probably, like, one of the biggest game changers for me in, in this deer season. Because this deer season has absolutely blown last deer season out of the water. This might be the best deer season I've ever had as far as just like the amount of deer I've seen. I mean, that the two-week period, the first rut I hunted in Alabama, I saw four mature bucks in two weeks. That never happened. Usually I see one per year, maybe two. I saw four, okay? So one of the biggest things that made a difference during this season so far, and we still got over a month left, um, and also this is something that if you're traveling makes a huge difference because when I saw those four bucks, it was an area that I was pretty much completely unfamiliar with. And I never hunted a stand that I'd hunted before in that area. And that is when you're walking in and you're going in to go hunt, like I said, mm-hmm. um, just like I dude, I'd have to like constantly tell myself like, it's okay if you don't get in a tree today. Like it's okay if you never get up in a tree and hunt or whatever, just if you just still hunt and you scout and everything, it's perfectly fine if you never get in a tree. That has made a huge difference because if you don't have that mindset, at least for me, you go out there and you're like, I got to get up. It's like three o'clock. I got to get in the tree right now. I got to get up right now or I'm going to be late. I'm not going to get set up. I'm not going to have time. Dude, I'm telling you, when you go out there and you don't give a crap what's going on and you get up, you know, late as, you know, as late as you can in the day or whatever, it, dude, it's made a huge difference for me. Because now I'm not pressured to find, like, a mediocre spot. I know that I'm walking until I'm finding exactly what I'm looking for. That is key. I'll I'll, I'll agree with that. Um, that I'll say that helped me in Tennessee, for sure, having that mindset that, hey, you know, because I've done it so much in the past. I think everybody listening to this episode, if, you, if you've hunted, especially mobile hunting, whether you're public or private land, doesn't matter – and you hunt in the especially the afternoon or morning, and you're like, I have to get up because it's X Y Z. It's three o'clock, four o'clock, whatever the time is, or yeah. in the morning it's five thirty, six o'clock, whatever. Um, mm. That has cost me so many opportunities at deer mm-hmm. that if I would have either kept walking, whether I didn't see deer or I was just too far out of range and I just didn't set up in the right spot or I got up in the wrong tree, if I would have kept walking, I would have found the tree to get in. Yep. Um, that it's it's just not worth doing it. And I've noticed that in the afternoons, especially in the afternoons, like try to give yourself enough time when you're getting in there so you can really make a highly educated really guess on where I need to be up in the tree. Um uh, and kinda, you know, go with your heart, go with your gut feeling. Uh which sometimes can pay off, sometimes it can bite you in the butt, but you'll you'll learn from it. Um uh, my last I guess last thought is, you know, I would highly recommend any out of state person that's listening to this podcast especially if you're up in the north that come down here and hunt alabama i think it'd be a really fun challenge for you uh again our season's super late the uh the um, license isn't overly expensive um you know i think it'd be worth it for you you know three buck tags a doe a day 
you know, it'd be a really fun trip. And uh, again, just would highly recommend it to anybody. Uh, and if you're interested in it, hit us up. Um, again, we got no issue trying to help anybody out. Just trying to figure out where they where they ought to go and try some stuff out. Um, again, there's really not a bad place to go in Alabama. Uh, again, Alabama might not be known for you know producing Boone and Crockett's on the on the uh, you know the scale of some of the Midwestern states. But there's a lot of big deer down here, and there's a lot of deer, uh, so you get a lot of opportunities. So, again, would highly recommend uh, making the trip if you can, or if you're again if you're a resident, you know. Just because your local area is, you know, the rut's dying down or whatever, it doesn't mean you can't go an hour south, hour north, hour east, or hour west and do something different. So, uh, dude, have some adventure. Have fun. Yeah. Um, everyone, please share us with a buddy. Please leave us a review. We greatly appreciate it. Do we have any hats left? Yes, I do. We've got, um, God, I don't know how many. We, we've probably got 10 of each now left. Okay. Um, but yeah, so we get the uh, the the classic leather patch hat that we've been um, we've had for a few times. Uh, those are thirty bucks um, shipped to you. Uh, again, if you want one of those, all you gotta do is just message us, and uh, we're taking uh, all the orders through our PayPal. Um, also, we have our blaze orange and bordered hat, which we've had a lot of guys buy. Actually, more people are buying that hat than actually the the leather patch. Uh, they're I actually like that hat. they're, they're twenty two dollars, but they're so freaking comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, down here in the southeast, um, you know, whether we're hunting public land or what. You know, we're always having to wear orange uh, while we're hunting. So yeah, you, you know, that's the most common hat we're gonna be wearing is that orange hat and dude it's fantastic yeah um but anyways anyone that's interested in one of our hats we had a quite a bit of people uh, purchase them for christmas gifts but if you want some want one let us know message us and then uh we'll be able to get that shipped out to you so we appreciate it again that's kind of one way we're supporting our uh trip to ata which is freaking not cheap oh my god ata man they ata screw us screwed up screwed over media members they increased our price to join the ATA, the Archery Trade Association. They increased the price of of Membership. media members by a hundred and twenty percent, and did not offer anything new this year. So yeah. I emailed, I called the lady, and I was like, "What the heck? Like, did, what what do we get anything new with this? Like, have y'all added anything?" She's like, "No, it just seemed like what we should do for the industry standards." I was like, "Dude." That's yep. not cool. Yep. Now it costs like $600 to join it. Yep. Yeah, that's expensive. <laughs> Woo! But anyways, <laughs> so if you purchase a hat, you actually help us uh, get there, and we again, greatly appreciate that. Um, but, yeah, again, share us with a buddy. We appreciate all the support. And, hey, guys, um, hopefully your season's not over. If it is over, again, maybe, maybe look to do a trip down south. Uh, and if you do, let us know because we'll be excited to hear your story. Also, any listener success stories uh, of the next few weeks, let us know as well. We'll get those yep. posted up. And, uh, yeah, guys, we appreciate it. Yeah, if, you, if you come down here and you message us and we happen to be hunting the same management area, let's meet up. So, you can help me drag a deer. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I don't drag deer. I'll help you pack a deer. Oh, there you go. Yeah. When in doubt, we, when in doubt, we packing out, son. Yep. Awesome. Yes, All right. Well, until next time, guys, it's been real. <laughs>
All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.